0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So we've been talking about being hungry for God. You know, I think the more we um, sort of, especially in the Western culture, uh, the more we get busy in our lives, you know, we fill our lives with a lot of stuff. But the more you fill your life, the more empty you're going to become if it's with worldly things. But God promises us that He says, you know, in my presence there is fullness of joy. So many times He talks about this fullness of being in His presence, the fullness of knowing God. And so as we empty ourselves more of the things of the world, we will become full with God. And so even with this lady at, at um, the, the well, Jesus said, if you drink of the water that I'm going to give to you, you will never thirst again. What a promise. You will never thirst again. Sure. Now, Willem, imagine we could uh, bottle water and say, w- if you drink one liter of this water, you're never going to drink need to drink water again. Now, everything in our consumer society is... Like, hey, come come get more. Uh, if you don't have this product, then you're not fulfilled. That's what advertising is about. I think in the 70s, they did a study on that, uh, or 70, 1975 around there. Um, they used to advertise the product for the value or the worth of the product. Um, so if you watch those first advertisements, advertisements that came out, It was always like, this is a good product, and this is the value of the product. This is what makes this product great. It's got a -A SABS stamp on. It's been approved by this board. It will endure for 35 years. Amazing stuff. And then suddenly, we came into a humanistic type of culture. Not anymore to the value of the product, but what the product will do for full in your life. And so they actually changed the whole advertisement industry by saying, this is why you need this. They created a need that most people don't have. And so by creating a need, telling you, you need this, because you're going to be fulfilled, now suddenly it pointed to the need of the person and not to the value of the product. So the whole advertising stuff has changed, you know, billboards, things, we bombarded with things that, wants to create a desire in your life okay cell phone stuff now it's in our homes it's in our lives it's it's like people have got so many there's so many desires that are being created for you and for us as christians so so we're not like separate from the world in that way and so what begins to happen slowly is that appetite and desires for the things of God begins to fade away in a lot of Christians' lives because we don't know that there's actually a war going on for to create a hunger in your life. And that's what the world does. And so the more we go on in this Western world, the more you and I have to realize I have to learn to say no to a lot of things because even over this weekend, you could have like, wow, watch this sport and that sport and that sport. And you can actually fill your life with so many things that you just become busier and busier and busier. And then we think we relax, or you think like this is really this creates a comfort, or this this ice cream. If I eat this ice cream, you know, then I'm gonna be fulfilled. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but you must know that there is a massive onslaught on your appetite. What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? And this is what this series is about, and Jesus said it. Our key scripture in John 15 says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. Say to your neighbor, without him you can do nothing. (laughs) So what does the consumer society do? The consumer society says now just become more independent. The more you get this stuff, the more independent you're going to become because you don't need others, you don't need God really in your life, and we get deceived. And so, how do I fall? How do I how do I grow a healthy appetite for the things of God? Yeah, how do I in this busyness and this being bombarded with life? And so we looked at being hungry for righteousness, Matthew 5 or 6. We look at saying no to instant food, Ephesians 5, you know. It says you have to learn to say no to the quick things in life, the quick, you know, making it more easier. Because anything that is really of great value has got a great cost on it. Okay, if you wear fake jewels, you can buy it, you know, in a China shop, you know. I remember going to China. We went into the shop and this guy came to me and he says, Sir, I just want to tell you, this is not a fake, this is a genuine fake, okay? Something like, and then there was another, it was like these DVDs, you know, CDs and DVDs that they sold, and I thought like, wow, this is, there's this a fake shop, then there's a genuine fake shop, and then there's the real deal, you know? Something like, this guy's trying to persuade me to buy a genuine fake, you know? It's not like the real fake, this is a genuine fake, you know? This is better than the other one, I think like. Okay, that doesn't really make sense. But in any case, so we, you need to learn to set healthy boundaries in your life, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because you want to create a greater hunger for God, a greater hunger for the things that God has put you in as a family, in relationships. Um, and that's why, you know, we eat in front of the TV. We, there's so many things that we just very subtly say yes to, but we don't actually know we're saying yes to those things. And so, I like Herman is here, Herman always uses this word, he says, you know, uh, we we need to declutter our lives. There's Herman at the back, you know, and that that word stuck with me the past year. How do you declutter? You know, because we think the more things I have, actually the more I'm going to relax. But hey, you pray for that swimming pool, and then eventually you end up cursing the swimming pool. Yeah, I always wanted a swimming pool, you know, <laughs> and I, I told the story before, when we moved into Onda Papagaiberg. we had a swimming pool, I was so excited, the first Saturday I went here to the chemist, and I was standing there, like, oh, we've got a swimming pool, you know, and all the old women were standing there in the queue, and the one of the other one was moaning, saying, I just want to make it a chicken farm, I just want to, you know, put koi fish in it, they were all this, you know, and they were moaning, because now we're all going to test our water, you know, the... The water of the swimming pool for the pH and all that stuff. And I'm thinking like, what a bunch of negative people, you know? I'm excited, you know? Three months later, I hate the swimming pool, you know? People just come in there and they swim and they don't know how much effort is the swimming pool, you know? (laughs) It's just crazy, you know? So we pray for those things and then we just realize it's more work eventually. So be careful what you pray for. Okay, let's move on. And then we looked at James chapter 1 verse 14. Now James... Just the background, and that's the other key scriptures we've been looking at. James was the brother of Jesus, and most people say that he wrote this, um, and he was deceived most of his life because of his familiarity with Jesus as his brother. He actually opposed Jesus in the ministry of Jesus, and only later, after the resurrection, did James' life turned around. And James eventually became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us what happened, but something radically happened and had to happen because he was a guy, the physical brother of Jesus that rejected Jesus most of his life because he grew up with Jesus. How can Jesus be the Messiah? I'm, I'm with him in the house here. I'm, I'm familiar with him, and, and now he's claiming to be the Messiah. <laughs> and so he never believed in Jesus. And so he writes this passage to us, and I'm not going to write it all. You can go if you missed a couple of weeks. Um, but but he he writes about this deception that we can fall into if we don't become doers of the word, if we we don't create a a healthy, hungry appetite every day where you say, God, today I want to know you more than what I knew you three months ago or three years ago. And so he starts with this, he says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So there's going to be temptation, but when you're drawn away, it just happens very slowly, but then desires come. There's a lot of desires, and those desires, when you start to feed them, and you start to dwell on them, then you become enticed, and then when desire is conceived, because now something else happens to that desire, that desire can be in your in your life for many years, or for a couple of days, or a couple of weeks. It says when it's conceived, it's like a seed that is in your life it's in seed form and that desire if it's watered if it keeps on going in your life what begins to happen is it's conceived and then it gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death so so don't just think and this is this is what the deception why the deception is so big in our lives many times because that desire will be slowly it will be planted there's a lot of seeds in that seed bed and if you don't make sure that your seed bed is full of the word of god and you're properly discipled in the word of god and you know the word of god because that's also in seed form god puts seed form of his word in your life and this is what he writes about and when 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 you're not full of the seeds of the word then do you know what the desires in your life that will trap you it will draw you and eventually it will give birth and it will bear fruit, other fruit in your life. And so he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of life, lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the, the kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of all wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So here's this beautiful picture. He says the implanted word in your life is able to produce so much. It's able to because God sends forth gifts. There's a lot of stuff that he sends to us and God wants to let your life be a first fruit. We as believers are a first fruit unto God, and what we allow in our lives, what we allow to be planted in our lives, that will be a fruit. What you sow, you will reap, Scripture says. And so here he goes on then, eventually in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So he says, very simply, if there's not... Something, what, what is going to be produced, you know? So we try to change the fruit many times, but you must start with the desires. The fruit is already too late. <laughs> the desires, and if you realize, like my life is a seedbed for God's word. My life is a seedbed for accountability with other people so that other people around me can speak into my life. Other people can challenge me on stuff. These, I'm, I'm, I want to be God's first fruit, maybe in my family or maybe in this nation to say, hey, we're going to do it different. And so the challenge is, is you and I need to make sure that this little garden of ours and the heart that we have is good ground. And so we looked further and when we looked at this whole idea of where Jesus speaks about the seed being planted, which is the word of God. And we looked at these four things. Let me just see how many of you were not here the last two, last week. Just raise your hand. Okay. Lots of you. But I'm not going to go into that. You can take a photo and then we're going to read on a little bit because I'm just recapping a little bit, okay? So so he spoke about these four seed beds. And he says the first one was the wayside, then there was, which was the devil, a spiritual onslaught to take the word away from you. The second one was the stony places. There's no root of that word. The third one was the thorns. And the fourth one was the good crown. So he says, it's so important that you realize your life is a seedbed to God, and there's a lot of seeds being planted, but there's also an attack on that seed. There's a spiritual attack, there's a worldly attack, and then sometimes it's not rooted. There's a lot of things or issues that wants to grab away the word of God in our lives, and God's fullness in our lives. And so now we're going to actually read the other part of the scripture, and I'm going to highlight one or two things. Okay, so Mark chapter 4. Are you all still with me? Okay, we're going to pick up some speed because Johnson and Andre is going to get baptized at the end of the service. Lacka, lacca. Tonight, we're also baptizing a lot of young people. So let's jump into this verse 8. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some a 100. This is Jesus speaking, and he's talking about the parable that he just spoke about. He says, but when he was alone, those around him with twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, "To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them." And he said to them, "Do you understand this parable? How then will you, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables?" The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So Satan takes away the word. Say, say. Okay, so if you don't realize this, that 25%, there's an attack on your life. That the moment when you walk out that door, if you have not learned to become a disciple and a learner of Christ, the devil... He's not coming to say, Hey, come and sin, come and sin, fall into sin. He's just interested to take away the word out of your life. The moment when you walk out there, you're going you're to forget. And some of it is very spiritual. It's an attack to steal the word of God. And you have to take responsibility for that. You must realize there's a spiritual onslaught on the word of God in your life more than ever more than ever (laughs) now verse 16 these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness so they even on a sunday oh, wow that was amazing the short man didn't preach so bad you know and all that stuff i'm very glad wow wow that was an amazing word you know you must you must really this is this is amazing you know that that is really a great word for peter That is really a great word for Jeremiah, you know? Um, Yeah, 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 yo, that's amazing, you know? They immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So, the devil will attack and the second thing is there's going to become persecution for that word. Circumstances is going to happen. Come and press. There's going to be a challenge for that word of God in your life. Verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So the third challenge of the word of God in your life is the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches and other desires that has been planted there. The other desires will take over. And then the fourth part, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some 30 fold, some 60 and some 100 fold. So they become obedient. They teachable. you know like, wow, I need to go and apply this word. I need to go and run with this word. I need to make it my own. I need to wrestle with God concerning this word. And now Jesus here in Mark begins to talk a couple of tough things. And he says, also, he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be, sent, be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The book of Revelations and right through Scripture, the Bible talks about this thing. Even the letters to the churches, there where sorrow was, and Popey, and them in Turkey, to all these churches in Turkey, Ephesus and all these, he says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so in this context of this parable, Jesus speaks the same. He says, if the word is supposed to be out there like a lampstand, he says, for there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. But if anyone has ears, let him hear. And then he said to them, take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. Now, here's all the married people you can, you can probably identify with this. You know, your wife is sometimes talking to you and you are listening, but you are not hearing. And that is for all the single people, you need to learn to listen. You know? So Louise sometimes tells me, okay, you need to go to the shop and here are the four things you need to buy. And I nod my head and I am in it all the time and I am listening until I get to the shop. Okay, that was just for the first ten years of our marriage. I've learned, I've learned, I've learned to have ears to hear, or to write it down. Okay, to make that list because normally I come at Spar or wherever I am, and then I get a panic attack. Okay, because I realize I am here with this trolley in Spar. I'm walking up and down the aisles, and now I'm beginning to pray for a word of knowledge because I can always remember the first two, but the other two I cannot remember because I have. Listened, but I did not hear, so I'm praying, I say, Lord, Lord, maybe it's this, and as I'm going down, I'm just filling that trolley, chips, everything Louise likes, or the kids likes, I just think, like, limit me, the, okay, bribe. this is going to be a good, great bribe, because now the pride is in the heart, because I don't want to phone or WhatsApp back and say, like, maybe I forgot the other two, because I I really listened, but I didn't hear, <laughs> you yeah? know? Anybody else that can identify, don't, you don't need to put up their hands, okay, <laughs> Somebody tells you to go to the shop and you, yeah, yeah, you know. Or sometimes I talk to somebody and I've not, you know, I've listened. I've, you know, but my screensaver was on while the person talked to me. And then afterwards I think, oh, I should have, I should have listened to all the instructions, you know. Um, because, because, hey, you know, I, I always make a joke about this. On a Papa back there's a lot of bird streets there, you know. So we went there and this guy told me where to go. And I, and Louise said the one day, yeah, yeah, he just, you know. Let's go. I said, no, I know where to, I know where to. It's some or other bird name, you know. And so, so yeah, we drive up and we're going to this party, um, like the social with all these people. And we get there and we realize like all the streets are bird names, you know. And we just drive up and down and up because I listened, but I didn't hear. So what is the best thing if you have listened and you struggle with things like that is get a notebook and a piece of paper and write it down. Because, hey, that's instruction. Now, the world works completely different because consumerism just wants to give you like flashes all the time. But God says he wants to speak to us and he always speaks to us in mysteries. The mystery of the kingdom. He always speaks to you in a way that he just gives you a little bit. That's why he spoke in parables most of the time. And so he says, if you want to be a Christian, you have to learn to listen and hear. <laughs> Take heed what you hear, what the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. But it's, why does he say this now? He's talking about hearing, and then he says, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you here, more will be given. For whoever has, to him, more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. This is a crazy but such a challenging part because it doesn't make sense unless you think of spiritual things, of somebody that can hear. And what are you hearing? You you want to hear, and the church needs to hear, not just what the written word is, but the revelation, the rhema word for God, the prophetic word for God. And that is what so many people miss because people think, I can just be a good Christian, go on with my life, but God is saying, listen to what the spirit wants to say to the churches. <laughs> so he says, those who have, more will be given, but those who have nothing, what they have will be taken away from them. But but I've got nothing. So if I've got nothing, how can you take away nothing from me? Do, do you see? It doesn't make sense. So, Jonathan, have you got your wallet here? Have, have you got nothing? You've, you've got no money. Come here. Okay. So so you've got no money, you haven't got your wallet, so you've got nothing. Okay, so I'm going to take your nothing from you. <laughs> Don't undress in church now, okay? No, I'm talking about money, not your shoes and your clothes, okay? But how can I take nothing from him if he, ha- he hasn't got money, but now I'm going to take it from him and he's got nothing? Because that's what scripture says. He's talking about his perception that he has nothing. He says, well, you think you have nothing, and because you, you can go and say thank you, because he's getting sweaty you know, think like, what is it going to take from me? He says, if you've got nothing, those who have more will be given. Why? Because they've learned to hear, they've learned to search, they've learned to become hungry all of their lives. And you know what the amazing thing is, God going to give you more and more and more and more. But those whose perception is that they have got nothing, that which you actually have, which God has given you, the treasures of heaven, the treasures of life, will be robbed from you. It will be taken from you. The devil will take it away. Circumstance will take it away. And so the church, more than ever, we need to fight for the prophetic word, you and your life. What has God spoken of your life? And you need to protect it because you need to become hungry for more. And that's why even prophecy, Scripture says, we prophesy in part. God gives you a little and then God waits for you to come and look for the rest. And if you don't have to not develop the hunger and the thirst to grow and to want to grow more and more in the fullness of God, then what's going to happen? You're going to lose the little bit that you have <laughs> because your perception begins to change eventually that you have nothing while God has given you so much. And that's what he says. Open up your ears. Remember the, the the picture we saw in the book of James is somebody who has got wax in his ears, and you can't hear properly, and you need to clean out your ears. He says, listen, people, James says, don't be deceived, become a doer of the word, become a doer of the word. And so I'm gonna leave us with two more verses, which is central to what we quote, but I want us to think about them again, and then start to think, like, how hungry am I, and how protective am I over God's word in my life? Because if we just play church, church, then we come and then we go, but we fall into exactly what Jesus was speaking about. We're not hungry for more of his word, more of his presence, more of his life in us. And we're not growing anymore because we're being robbed of revelation knowledge. We're being robbed of that wow, that wow of who God is. We're being robbed of How great God is because circumstance of what people say about the nation and what people say about your life, you're being robbed of it. And so I want to also say this, that revelation knowledge does not come cheap. That's what Jesus spoke in parables. And that's why Jesus sometimes says, hey, you come follow me. And then he started to walk and people had to give up a lot of things (laughs) to become a disciple. (laughs) It wasn't just easy. This life of Christianity isn't a consumer, I'm just so in need. Because we, I always thought like, oh, no, God is just going to give me more and more. God is just going to stand in front of me because he, but God speaks in mysteries. God wants you to be hungry. And he says, therefore, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. But the responsibility is yours. It's mine. And so this is what he says in Matthew 6 verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. If I'm seeking something, it means it's not just there. If I need to seek something, it's not just on a plate there on a Sunday morning and say, yo, yo, come and dish me up a nice meal. And the principle for our lives, and that's the major principle, because what we, if we want to do discipleship properly and we're working through the series that John gave us, you know, in, in the small groups what is discipleship and how do we change to a culture away from consumerism into discipleship, then at the heart of it is a life of obedience, a life of seeking. And then your golden rule should not be to train somebody to just give them a lot of information. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. We need to share principles with people and values and help them to understand biblical principles so that they make decisions for themselves. And we need to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. We need to learn to tell people to play hide and seek and say like, hey, seek, it's not going to come easy. It means some things are hidden and the deep things of God are hidden. And that's what revelation, because if you get that revelation yourself, it's much more than, than you just get a YouTube clip. When it becomes your own and you realize like, I was looking for this thing, I was searching for it, I was so hungry and thirsty and wow, I found it, you know. It's like when you've looked for your car keys, men, you know. I have a friend that says now, you know, he was always looking and looking and then he got married and now he stopped looking, you know. But he was more referring to his car keys and all that, like wife, where is this, wife, where is this, wife, where, you know. But when you seek the kingdom, it means the kingdom is hidden. And you need to search for deep things. That's why diamonds and gold and the valuable things in this life, it doesn't just lie around on the paving. You need to go seek for it. You need to go dig for it. You need to, you need to say, everything that I'm going to do is going to focus to find that great pool of price, that treasure. That's why those things have got so much value because it's not easy to get. So at the heart of our lives is this searching, searching for the kingdom of God, looking out, you know, because we want quick fixes. And that's what the world says. Just like, hey, so people run up and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm struggling to hear the word of the voice of God. Well, you are going to struggle because you need to seek to find the kingdom. You need to seek to find the presence of God. And that's a determination. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 7 verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Asking, seeking, knocking. Some doors are going to be closed, you need to knock, some places you need to ask, some places you need to go and seek. It's a constant place of seeking for the kingdom of God. But when we become complacent, when we become familiar, like James did with his own brother. So familiarity with God is one of our greatest challenges. Comfort is one of our greatest challenges. When we become comfortable, and that is exactly what the world does, it say, Hey, just create a space of comfort and then you're gonna find God. And the scripture says no, you have to seek. So God allows uncomfortable situations in your life and in my life, so that we become more dependent on Him, more seeking, more looking, more hungry, more thirsty. And so you need to ask him, how are you growing? And what is that growth plan in your life? What are the stuff? Why, what, how do I want to be different in two years from now? And so I, I always like, you know, I don't like praying it, but I say, God, stretch me, you know, and then God says, go there. Do that and I think, like, no, Lord, I didn't think about that, you know. Um, Give me what's plan B, what's plan C, and then just <laughs> no, that's the plan, you yeah? know. And then I think, like, oh no, you know. And sometimes I feel tricked, I must say that, you know. Sometimes I feel like I've been praying, and then it's like here in your head, like this campsite thing that we're doing now, you know. Once you get into it, you realize. This is much bigger. (laughs) Then you like, you think like, yeah, it was a great, because I've got a. you can ask James and all the people in the office, you know, poor Eugene, you know, great Eugene, not poor Eugene, amazing Eugene, you know, because sometimes he just looks at me and then he shakes his head and he says, oh, here we go again. (laughs) You know, he's got another 10 plans, you know, but at least one of the 10 always works. Hallelujah. You know, so I'm seeking, you know, I'm thinking like, Lord, it's going to work, you know, somewhere. So rather make mistakes in your seeking, rather, but the moment when you just go and sit in the chair and say, Ah, oh, yeah. So allow those things to shape you. Allow the situation in South Africa to shape you and me to come closer to God. Don't run away. Don't run away. They're there to shape you to become more hungry for God. But when we harden our hearts, when we start to say, No, 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 yeah. I'm I'm just a good Christian. I'm just a nice person. There's one guy said this week, he said, somebody came to him and says, no, I'm a good person. Why do I need God? You know, if you, if your house is burned down and you go to the, another suburb and you just go knock on the door, you say, hey, um, I need to come in here. Will you give me a place to stay? You don't know the people at all. Um, And the person say, well, why should I allow you in? And you just say, well, I'm just a good person. That person is going to allow you in because you're a good person. Don't be fooled when we get to heaven. Say to God, well, God, I was just a good person. I was a good churchgoer. Faithful servant. Faithful servant. Full of faith. That's what faithful means full of faith so that's what jesus said to the these guys he said lord why do you speak in parables he says because i want you to be more hungry i want you to be more teachable i want you to grow i want you to i want you to to stretch yourself and that doesn't come easy because there's no comfort zone involved in true discipleship and true following god i can't rely on last year's revelation." I can't do things like I did it 10 years ago because the world has changed. The world is moving on. We're never going to change the gospel message. We're never going to change the word of God because lots of people are changing that. They're compromising on that. God has not called us to compromise. We stand on the word. You know, all the gender fluidity, all the nonsense that's coming, you realize like the world has fallen on its head. The word of God remains.